Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. I'm Danny Carraher. And today we are going to be talking about animated films, specifically about the Mitchells versus the Machines. Um, I think this year has a lot of potential when it comes to animated films. Um, Seems like every company that puts out an animated film seems to have either multiple films or something that they are putting out this year. I think Disney has, including their Pixar film, has three movies coming out this year. Netflix at least has two. And then there's other companies that are going to have things as well. A lot of sequels for popular films. Um, We've already had a few that have come out thus far. I think that Netflix probably is going to be uh, kind of a, a game changer in terms of getting more animated films in there because we've seen like how Pixar and Disney are <laughs> doing pretty much sweeping the awards for, you know, best animation in years past. And so I, I imagine Netflix is going to get up there. I don't know what you think. But. They, yeah, the last few years they've been a player, um, at least having one film nominated a couple of years back they had klaus which is a really great film um and it, it I, don't, I just don't think that many people probably saw it um but i think mm-hmm. that netflix is figuring out how to campaign and they they're going to be a threat i think every single year to disney pixar um yeah and you're right that disney has pretty much dominated this category since it has been put into uh, play for award season since I think 2001, I believe was the first year that they had the animated category at the Oscars. And um, Shrek actually won that first award. I was going to ask what happened to DreamWorks because DreamWorks used to be. Yeah. I don't know. They, they just have not been as big of a player and um, Mitchell's the Mitchell's versus the machines. Uh, no, never mind. It was uh, Viv- Vivo, which is going to be uh, Lin-Man- Lin-Manuel Miranda's animated film that's coming out this year. Uh, that was originally pitched to DreamWorks, and then they decided not to take it. So guess who picked it up? Netflix. So mm-hmm. Netflix is going to have two players this year, along with uh, the Mitchells and the Machines as a big-time uh, animated film. Um, and Sony pictures actually i think produced both of them um so yeah yeah uh, netflix is sony produced mitchell's versus the machines right okay yeah. that makes sense i have a connection with that that i, I want to talk about at some point so yeah so they i mean in sony sony animated films like they kind of have been a little bit under the radar um but if you go back and look at their filmography over the last you know 10 years uh, they've they've had some big big animated films. It's just that Disney comes in and smashes everybody, and then every once in a while there'll be some foreign company that will have a pretty big player. Um, it's not really a threat to take down Disney, but uh, they they certainly uh, there's usually some kind of out there animated film that makes its way in. I'm not so sure that's going to happen this year. There's just so many animated films coming out 
um, from big companies. And I imagine they're going to hog up a lot of those, those spots in award season. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know a whole lot of what's coming up and out, but I'd seen Ryan, the last dragon. And I thought that that was a pretty good movie. And um, it's kind of got kind of the quintessential kind of family storyline about finding your family and saving kind of, uh, the world there's a hero at the center of it um, and I think that uh, it's got some pretty um, you know good moments it's light it's not too groundbreaking in any way I, I think I gave it a seven out of ten but um, I, I mean I would recommend it I think it's worth checking out but I don't know is that one that they're that is gonna pick up steam for I I would imagine that that's probably the odd film out this year because they have Pixar Disney's coming out with Luca in June and that's going to be Pixar's only film this year. Last year they had two, um, but this year they'll have their one. And then uh, Encanto, which is a Disney film will be coming out in November. Um, and that's kind of their music. It's one of their, musical um disney films and they they haven't been doing those as much recently mm -hmm. so uh lin-manuel miranda is also doing the music for that um he's having a giant year uh yeah. along with in the heights coming yeah. out and then he yeah. has his own uh film that he's directing for netflix called tick tick boom um so i imagine that award voters are going to get massive campaigns for all of his films and so um, I think Encanto probably will be uh, more of a player than Ryan the Last Dragon. Um, I, I know it's because Pixar and Disney kind of, they're sort of two separate entities. Uh, where would you put Ryan the Last Dragon um, compared to, did you see Onward? I didn't see Onward, oh, no. Because Onward's kind of one of those more middle of the line animated films where at one point in time it probably would have been a top player but because the animated field is growing every year and more people are getting into it and uh there's just there's just a lot more options um it kind of got got smushed out by um some of the bigger bigger films but i think one of the things that's most exciting about animated films this year is that uh they should be able to nominate five that are of real high quality um every year it seems like there's one or two that don't really deserve to be there are they're mm -hmm. kind of they're they're okay like they're they're good but not amazing one that's like a sure fire winner <laughs> and, and yeah and i'm not so sure that's the way it's going to be this year yeah yeah um and we'll get a little bit more i think we'll get a little more into that when we talk about the mitchells and the machines uh versus the machines um here in a minute but uh, yeah, it's hard to decide. Um, the fact that Luca is coming out here in June makes some people think that Disney is not going to push that super hard, especially because they're only releasing it as of now. They're only releasing it on their platform mm -hmm. um, and they're not even making you pay extra for it like they did for Riot and the Last Dragon. Um, and so some people think that maybe they're abandoning that film. Um I'm not so sure about it. Uh, I think it has uh, potential to really connect with Academy voters. And um, it, it just, it seems a little different. 
and I think it has more of a summer feel. So they're choosing to release it uh, in June rather than in winter time. Um, And I'm not so sure the, the uh, kind of campaign rules apply to animated films like they do for other, other movies just because they come out whenever. And they tend to be more family and kid oriented. And so the best time to release those are in the summer. Yeah. I think that, I mean, and again, we'll talk more about this, but with this Mitchell's versus the machines movie, I think that it's um, interesting that it is a family movie, but it like, I don't know, it goes deeper than that, I think. And so that's what made it super entertaining for me and great to watch, but we'll, we'll get into that. All right. I think that's a good uh, transition, though. So when we come back from this little break, we will be talking about the Mitchells versus Machines um, from Netflix. This is our last night together before Katie leaves, so let's savor this. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting right. This seems. Put your phone down now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. Now, you're allowed to blink. It's just eye contact. Look at Monch right there. That's the spirit right there, huh? Katie, it seems like you're not taking this seriously. What makes you say that? And that clip you just heard was from Netflix, The Mitchells versus The Machines. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this film and uh, what we thought of it in some of the areas that um, were great. Maybe some areas that uh, could have used a little bit of improvement. Um, But this is really the first of uh, the animated films that I think there has been a lot of buzz on. Um, Generally across the board, people have been talking about uh, it being one of the top animated films for this year despite not having seen a bunch of them yet but the fact that that is in play um i think builds some excitement around this film um so the film is a uh a fam essentially it is a family travel film with a little bit of a twist uh where this this family is taking their daughter to college and uh on their way they end up in a robot apocalypse and have to battle robots in order to uh, either get to their final destination or to save the world. Um, I really, really love this film. I ended up giving it eight out of uh, 10 on IMDb or four out of five stars. Uh, and I, I thought that it was a fresh original take on something that has ultimately been done quite a few times, but it was a nice little twist on things. what do you think, Danny? I gave it uh, an eight out of 10 as well. And like you said, I think that I felt like it was pretty fresh. Um, I kind of have three areas of it that I, I think are 
really strong. And so I'll kind of let you bounce off of these as I go through them. But I think first of all, the tone is really great within this movie and you get that right away. Um, the thing that I think is cool is that you, the main character is going to college because she wants to become a filmmaker. She makes these kind of like quirky um, internet kind of culture videos that play on different things and they kind of throw in wacky things. And that fits very thematically into the storytelling. You know, you get a sense of like, it's almost as if she's telling that story and she's narrating at the very beginning with that kind of teaser before they flash back before the, the uh, robot apocalypse and everything. And so I think the tone, you know, from a humor level, but then also just kind of, it's very, they know the story they're telling, you know? And so what do you think of the tone of this, this film? Well, I thought it was perfect because I, I think this is a movie for now and has a recognition of um, the, the general, the teen that is entering into those college years and the uh, different activities that they do. And this, just this recognition that we, we have these young people that are connected in this totally different way. And I think that obviously that leads very much into one of the main themes of this film, which is uh, this idea of uh, technology and um, its impact on our, our societies and the human kind. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like it, it very much knows what it is doing and it kind of comes back to this idea in many different ways. Like you were saying, the fact that she um, is making films for the 21st century audiences that are, are more interested in watching YouTube content than uh, going to the theaters to watch a movie. Um, and comparing that kind of in juxtaposition to uh, a lot of flashback scenes that are through like home recordings and kind of showing how there's been this transition. Um, for me personally, I think this movie is really made for our generation because um, we can kind of step back a little bit from it. But there's this recognition that there was a time where things weren't that way, where we weren't always connected um, through the Internet. And uh, so I loved it because there was this nostalgic piece to it uh, where you kind of see both sides. You have this recognition of this is the now, um, but that uh, relationships were far different um, when a lot of us were younger. Um, and for many kids uh, coming into adulthood today, that, that hasn't always been the case or there, there isn't that same recognition. Um, and so it, I thought it was a great critique on um, the now and kind of accepting that certain things are the way that they are, but also recognizing that uh, we, we haven't quite crossed the line yet, but we're getting dangerously close to um, kind of losing the uh, how special 
some some of these just everyday human interactions are. Well, that that was the the second thing that I thought was really good about it. And you talked a lot about just like the commentary, but I think it's commenting on two different things. And so the, the one is like the way that technology is impacting us. And so we have uh, the the relate. I feel like the we see that the technology is almost a rift between the daughter father relationship in the story. And so the father's viewing her, you know, interaction with her making the videos and being on her phone. I think that that he sees that as a rift, but then she sees his un, like unwillingness to accept that part of her as the rift. And so like, it's not necessarily critiquing either one. It's just saying that the generations are different and like, these are the two different ways that we, you know, people are interacting. But then on another whole different level, it is heavily critiquing that sort of technology impact on a corporate level. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so like that, it, it's, it's almost as if like, you know, pe- humans aren't to blame for, you know, falling prey to the technology that is, exists. We just have to kind of learn how to navigate that. The people that are responsible are like the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Jeff Bezoses, you know, like, 100%. It, it, like the fact that the guy who's in charge of PAL is named Mark too, you know, like it's, um, yep. <laughs> it's so clear who they're trying to be. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I felt like, uh, I, that was a huge reason why I loved it, um, partially because I'm, I'm recently just like thinking a lot about how much, you know, the technology is addictive and, you know, trying to be more in uh, aware of, you know, human interactions and things like that without sounding pretentious about it. But like, I think that that is a, a real problem in some ways. And so I, I thought that this did it without it seeming pretentious. You know what I mean? This was able to critique the, the real like corporate side of it without critiquing humans. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I, I think that uh, something that's interesting about, about this film is that um, it's very, very obvious that what they are trying to say but it rides this line where it doesn't become like hokey or corny as a result of that. Uh, mm-hmm. And it um, it's aware, it's very aware of what it is trying to do. And because I think that it does have so much of a comedy uh, aspect to it, um, it plays perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and it, it allows you to accept the fact that some of this is a little bit over the top and in your face. Yeah, it doesn't take itself seriously enough to be, right. to, to get... The way that it was made, they made it seem as if it would be a live action. It felt more live action um, mm-hmm. portrayed than uh, an animated film. Um, and I thought that that was a cool way to do this because it allowed them to do things that they probably would not have been able to do uh, if it were a live action film, just because these characters are a little bit more uh, above and beyond um, your regular person, but it didn't lose track of it being still a real story and uh, something that, that people can really relate to. And a lot of that, I think, is because of the, the way that they, they made it feel like a, a real, real movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I thought about that, too, and just 
it almost felt like there was the, the way they set up shots in a way was like very right. cinematic. And, uh, but the other part of that though, is that, uh, and this is kind of the third big thing that I thought was really strong about it is I think the animation is pretty unique. There's only other one other movie that I, I would compare it to and that's Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And so that's where I, I felt that connection when you mentioned that it was produced by Sony. I imagine Sony Animation also was working on this then. And like, um, I'm sure some of the people from Spider-Verse were on this, but it had a comic book vibe to it. So you kind of have those panels that look like, you know, set up shots. And so, the, like you said, it it feels cinematic. It feels like it's a real uh, live action movie, but they're able to do things like add those, you know, onomatopoeia like uh, yeah. uh, images or graphics on there to kind of give that interaction activity with the movie and like it it makes it more interactive on a whole lot of different levels it also i think it gives it so much more flexibility with what it can do you know what i mean and it, you you can do they do uh they do something that like you see it all the time on like shows like family guy and stuff where they do cutaways and they'll like show something and then they'll come back but like that that sort of thing i think really lends itself in this type of storytelling because they have that flexibility with the the style of animation. So I thought that was a really cool part of the movie. Yeah, the style of the animation, yeah, it is pretty much unlike anything. I And I admittedly haven't seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse yet. <laughs> um, it's well, one it's like... The textures of the, like... Characters. Characters, the way they look on this. They don't... The, the, it's in both movies it looks three-dimensional but at the same time there's almost like it's just on a two-dimensional background you know characters are three-dimensional in a two-dimensional page and so that's what it looks like in spider-man into the spider-verse whereas like in like a you know um the i'm trying to think like wreck it ralph like that's a wholly three-dimensional animated world you know but there's parts of this that feel 2D, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I think that it does, that is part of why it is a unique uh, visual experience. Um, yeah. And I think when I started watching this, I, it took me a little bit to really adjust to the animated style. That was what I was very focused on at first because I'm like, ooh, this is cool. Like mm-hmm. this, is, this is a really cool experience. And so as they're setting up the story, um, you kind of have two things going on where you're trying to, as a viewer, you're, you're starting to follow kind of where this is going, but they don't rush into it too much to kind of allow you to, uh, savor and enjoy, uh, the, the visual experience that you are receiving mm-hmm. and kind of going back to the nostalgia of this as a kid that, um, grew up on a lot of Nickelodeon cartoons. It has a very Nickelodeon feel, um, and uh, that, that's just something that uh, I, I hadn't really experienced in a very long time because I'm so used to seeing um, the more DreamWorks. Uh, I, I guess uh, what's what is the uh, How to Train Your Dragon is DreamWorks. I think that's their oh yeah uh, like yeah. big one. But uh, like the more DreamWorks, um, Pixar uh, type type films. Um, so it, 
that was enjoyable to me. Well, and, you know, the thing that I'm thinking about too, and this, this feels very Nickelodeon when you said that is that it's animation that doesn't feel too clean. You know what I mean? Like you yes. look at, you look at like uh, soul from last year, that is like the cleanest animation ever. The shadows are perfect. You know, like it feels almost real life esque. you know? Right. Um, but this is like, it's stylized. It's its own world. And like, it has some, you know, messiness to it, but that's part of the storytelling. And I think that makes it stand out in my mind compared to a lot of other animated movies. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree with that. The, the messiness is what makes it special in a way. Yeah. Um, Cause they're not trying to be Pixar. They're not going to be Pixar at the Pixar game. Um, yeah. So they, they've created their own unique style. And uh, it, this was produced by um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did uh, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and the Lego movies. And so like they have their own very unique way of handling animated films. It's trying to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's where we kind of get that fresh, uh, that fresh feel. Um Something that as the movie was playing on, uh, I was thinking, yes, this is certainly going to should be a player for best animated film this upcoming year. Um, And it would be kind of not obviously we haven't seen (laughs) all of the animated films, but it'd be kind of cool to see a film like this win um, just because it's different. And I think that it does have an important uh, topic uh, that our society is grappling with currently without being too preachy. I'm kind of just putting it out there as is. And uh, so I I think that that is, um, this should be a definite player for that. But I wouldn't even be so surprised if it is in consideration for a best original screenplay um, award too because it is a unique take on a story and there's times where, where the uh, the dialogue is pretty witty um, if not silly um, mm-hmm. but uh, it it like we said it kind of has this messiness to it but it all comes together and everything clearly has its place um, I didn't really feel that there were too many times throughout where it felt like it was kind of going rogue. Um, it was mostly a pretty tight, tightly uh, connected film where they they brought things, they would bring things back that, right. that clearly had a purpose earlier that we didn't know that was its purpose until later. Right. I, I will say there is probably, you know, two downsides of the movie that I was just going to talk about real quick. One is I think by the time the end comes around and, and, this is maybe a little bit too critical, you know, it being a family movie, it being an animated movie generally targeted towards kids. It felt like it's, you know, had some twists and turns that just felt kind of like, Oh, I guess this is the, you know, deus ex machina in a a way that's going to take us out of this predicament that they're in, you know, and, you know, I can't, you can't be too critical of that sort of thing, but I guess if that's, uh, uh, if there was something to kind of, um, critique there, I would say it just felt like, oh, okay, I guess this is happening now. And, and that really only started to happen, I would say, in the final, you know, 20 minutes of the movie. 
Um, and so, I mean, I'm not going to talk about what those are, but uh, you like once you see it, I think you can kind of start to recognize that. And then I, I also felt like in some ways I didn't know how to end the movie. You know what I mean? It felt like there was like an initial end and then they kind of like brought back a, a, a second ending to it. And I kind of was like, okay, you know, and, and, and I think part of the reason why I felt that and was that they had this commentary on the, you know, how the corporate tech interests are affecting real people in some way, I, I sort of wanted to see that, uh, you know, incorporated into an ending in some way or to, you know, understand the impact of that. But, you know, it, it sort of just was like, a, you know, we, we saved everybody and then we're going to move on and everything's fine now, which like, again, it's a kid's movie. I can't be too critical of it, but that's just what I was thinking at the end of the, the movie. I was like, oh, I didn't. I don't know if it fully got to end in a way that brought that that into the story, you know? Yeah, I I also kind of felt like maybe the ending was uh, almost like they spent a lot of time for all of this and then they kind of just wrapped it up quickly with yeah. like this little end piece that was almost a little too predictable <laughs> um, in terms of... Right how it played out and a lot and to be honest a lot of this movie is predictable but there was some comfort in that um it took some twists and turns that ultimately ended up where you thought it would um so i think that that is probably its uh greatest downfall um is that it it does have a little bit too much of the predictability it's um, like the stakes are high, but you know that nothing, there's no real consequence for it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and you're willing to forgive it to an extent uh, just because it was an enjoyable experience. It's hilarious. And, it's a hilarious yeah, movie. It is. It is. Um, and uh, something we really haven't talked that much about is the casting um, and who they they chose for a lot of these different characters. And there's some big name people that don't have um, overly huge roles, but they, they play those characters pretty well. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was well done. I thought everybody did a pretty good job and it kind of fit certain, certain personalities. Can you guess who my favorite characters are in the, in the movie? Um, I would imagine that you liked the uh, dumb robots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it beck bennett it's, Be it, it's beck bennett and uh fred armson yeah yes yeah. i love the dumb robots yeah i i figured that was as much um <laughs> uh, i i thought it was interesting out of basically every other actor you kind of got it was like yeah that's clearly that person um danny mcbride as uh as the father he, it was kind of a different role for him yeah. Um, like every once in a while you get a little bit of Danny McBride in there, but there's sincerity uh, and, and he's yeah. never a sincere character. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and he sounded like somebody and I can't, we, I, I can't figure out who it is. Uh, it was somebody else, some other actor that I kept thinking sound like somebody different. Maybe it was like, it kind of gave me like Craig T Nelson vibes or something like that. Maybe a I, little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, I, I thought he was very good. And then Abby Jacobson from Broad City, I felt like it was good casting. 
um, the directors and writers of this film probably saw Broad City and they're like, well, this she's perfect for this this character because it kind of had that that feel to it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I I think they decided as filmmakers that they were going to uh, place a critique on society and the technology industry and kind of their role in potentially the downfall of civilization. Um, but their choice in not uh, really wrapping that side of things up, I think more is um, that they're, you know, this is something that maybe isn't so easily saved and there's not some easy fix. And I think you can get right. kind of messy if you start to try to, um, wrap that up in a way that it, it may seem too forced. So whereas it would have been nice to have some finality to that kind of side plot line, I think uh, they probably just had to make a creative choice to say this can get a little beat to be a little bit too much and you may lose track of um, kind of what is mostly at the core of this film, which is family and uh relationships um and that i think is ultimately what they are trying to to convey and i i think and for teenagers who would watch this film they're not going to have the same understanding as somebody who has lived uh being a teenager and now is able to step back a little bit further and recognize that this relationship between um Katie and her father is a very normal relationship between a teen and their, their parents mm -hmm. where there's kind of this angst and the teen is trying to have that independence and kind of be their own person with overbearing parents that uh, are just trying to hold on to some semblance of uh, that childhood. Um, and so you kind of know as an older person that that's how it is. Um, and that uh, this is a normal family's story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I agree, like as much as I wanted some of that other commentary maybe wrapped up in there, that, that wasn't the ultimate focus of the story. It's about that relationship between teen and their parents, specifically her, her dad in this case. And, um, you know, and I thought also just like, the whole family dynamic, the role that the brother plays and the mom plays within that trying to kind of, they're kind of in between trying to bridge the gap between the two family members that aren't getting along. And, you know, I think, I think that uh, that's something we've seen in other family movies, but I, I thought that this was still was able to be fresh and uh, you know, was able to do that in a way that was entertaining. I agree. Um, so I would highly recommend watching this film. Um, it's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix subscription, it's free. Um, and up to this point, it's probably one of the best movies that I have seen in the 2021 uh, film cycle. Uh, even though it's been a little bit messy about what's included in the 2020 and what's included in the 2021, this is still probably one of my top films that I have seen from, from the cycle, including all of the Sundance the Sundance movies that I did see. Um, so 
go see it. I think you would agree that uh, everybody should see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're going to see how the rest of the animated schedule plays out and see if there's anything that can can top the Mitchells versus the machines. So when we come back from this break, we are going to be doing two different countdowns. The first, we're going to be taking a look at uh, the worst or bad moms in cinema history. Um, And then we will finish the show on a more positive note to celebrate Mother's Day and take a look at some of the best or good moms that we have seen throughout film history. So stay right there. When we return, we're talking about moms. Welcome back. We are talking about uh, moms in cinema history um, and taking a look at who we think are some of the worst moms and who are some of the best moms to be um, displayed on screen. Uh, I think this is a, a good segue from talking about the Mitchells versus the Machines because, uh, you know, there's a pretty strong mother character in that film um and uh you could probably include her on one of these lists and maybe you have i don't know but uh um i i tried to stay away from really current films uh, in terms of uh who are the best and worst um but she this is a good example of a strong powerful mom uh, in a film um but we're going to start by not talking about mom, a mom like that. We're going to talk about our uh, five worst uh, moms in cinema. And um, I know for me, just doing this uh, exercise and trying to find uh, moms on both sides, I think that in a way I tried to simplify things, not recognizing that, uh, there have been a lot of really dynamically written uh, mother characters where um, you start to look at it and like, oh, yeah, that person's bad. But then there's parts of them that are good um, mm-hmm. or vice versa, where it's like, yeah, they're a really good uh, mom, but there's definitely some things about them that are bad. And so there isn't so much uh, completely amazing mothers are completely terrible mothers uh, displayed on screen. And frankly, that's the way it should be. Um, So I think at least from my list uh, that there are probably some, some characteristics uh, on both sides for some of these characters uh, that my bad moms, they're just some of those good characteristics I can't forgive their bad characteristics. Um, so that's why they end up on that list. Um, and then on my best moms, there's some that aren't perfect, uh, but that they do so many good, or the good things that they do far outweigh the bad things that they do. And before you start sharing, we start sharing these out, I just want to say, I think that, the, like you said, the reason why it's hard to categorize them into a good or bad is because like, 
you know, being a parent is really difficult. And so like, I think movies do a good job of capturing, you know, that like, we're not, we're human, you know, we screw up sometimes. And so I will say that for me, when we get to the best moms, those ones, there's some ambiguity there, but I, I feel like I, I can say there's some definitely bad moms, <laughs> like, like, like objectively bad moms uh, in my bad list. There's probably two that I would maybe argue are just flawed and, you know, that's, that's the reason, but we'll get there. Yep. Perfect. Um, yeah. I, I think that that is the case. The other thing that I kind of noticed uh, before we begin here is that um, it, it's a little bit hard for me to uh, just cause there's so many characters across the board. Um, this is just a representation of some of the ones that I, I stuck out to me. And so I am sure that we are missing some really good examples of this. Um, and so my rankings are just kind of based off of uh, the ones that I chose. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you picked because I'm sure that there are going to be a few on there that I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, that that mom is terrible or that mom is great. Uh, and just completely it was an oversight on my part. So I'm going to let you start with the number five bad mom. OK, so this one, I feel like it's not it's not totally fair because, I mean, it's a movie I saw when I was a kid. It's the parent trap. And I'm thinking of the stepmom at the end who uh, marries their dad. And like, I just remember as a kid thinking, this would be terrible. This would be awful. And I empathize so much with the Lindsay Lohan twins that I was yeah. like, I was like, I want so badly for her to be out of their life. And so like that, I mean, she's written to be hated in that movie. And so that's why I'm like, I'm totally comfortable with putting her uh, as my one of my bad moms on this list. But that's also the reason why I can't put her higher on the list because she's just a caricature in a way. You know what I mean? I want to have somebody that's a little bit more dynamic. But. Yeah, it, and, and I agree. I, I think that's a great choice. And uh, the way that that character is written is as a um, kind of enemy to the main mother character in that film um, as a way to almost forgive her for some of her downfalls uh, because it's like, ah, she's not as bad as the stepmom <laughs> in the parent trap. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that uh, easily she is the most hated character in that, that movie. Yep. So that's, um, that's, my, ahead. Mom. that's my worst mom. Go ahead. You can All right. Um, my number five uh, worst mom is uh, the character of Alice Ward from The Fighter, um, played by Melissa Leo. And uh, I'm putting her number five because there are some um, characteristics as you get to the end of the film. Where it's like, okay, like she maybe has some rewarding characteristics, but overall she basically sees her son as uh, expendable for her own financial gain and pushing uh, Mickey Ward into these fights that she knows that he really isn't going to be able to um, do well. Cause that they're just trying to make some money. And uh, in like, she essentially abuses him in that way. Um, she sees him as a commodity for her own success um, rather than being a human being. And 
more specifically her son. Um, and uh, you see kind of this as the film plays out, you see her uh, gravitate towards Mickey Ward's brother, who is a complete wreck. And I think it kind of shows that uh, um, this family is just dysfunctional all the way around. Um, and uh, once again, even though she's a real person, uh, it, she, her role in that film is kind of as a comparison point to how Mickey Ward ends up. Um, and it's like, man, he, he did pretty well for himself. Uh, considering how terrible his family situation is and having this overbearing mom who basically forces him into uh, these fights as his, as his manager. So I, I'd only ever seen part of the, the fighter. So I, I can't say what I think of her as a mom. I just only remember seeing part of it, but I remember when I was kind of doing research, that was one that I saw on there. I'm like, Oh yeah, I should watch that movie at some time. I, I think having this uh, this character uh, or the these bad moms um, as part of the storytelling it really sets up an opportunity for actresses to to put on amazing performances and uh, I as I look at my list like a lot of these, people were either nominated or won uh, an Academy Award for portraying this absolutely evil person. For whatever reason, um, the Academy loves uh, evil characters, specifically in the, uh, the, the supporting role and is willing to award uh, these actresses for playing somebody who's just completely despicable and uh, Melissa Leo is no exception here in this this role so we'll move on to number four for you okay um my number four pick and I, I just want to real quick get the actress's name again give me a second so okay if we pause for a sec no problem okay so my number four pick is uh, from the movie Carrie, um, and it's Margaret White, the mother in Carrie. It's played by Piper Laurie, and this is, I mean, like, again, this is more of a caricature type bad mom. She's controlling of her daughter, limiting what experiences her daughter has, hyper-religious to the point of you know, uh, not being in touch with the, the modern life. And I mean, this movie was made in 76, I believe. Yep. Released in 76. And so, I mean, by the end, and again, if you've ever seen Carrie, you know how, how this movie ends for the mom, but, uh, there's some catharsis there. (laughs) And, uh, I think that, uh, she, she definitely gets what she deserves by the end of this movie. Um, but again, I think that, like you said, it, it take you need a good actor to play a bad mom because that it, it like you love to watch somebody be bad on screen. You know what I mean? And just be yeah. horrific in some ways. There's some in- entertainment from that. And because this is a horror movie, like it, it, there and it's it's from the '70s, so there's some campiness to it. Uh, I think that this is just kind of a a classic uh, bad mom that came to mind i i had considered uh 
choosing her as one of my bad moms, but it's been so long since I've seen that film that uh, I, I I wanted to focus on ones that I've seen more recently uh, and can like remember some of the details regarding that character. I saw it last year for the first time, so it was pretty pretty fresh. But yeah, she she's, she's bad. She's terrible. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. So my number four is also a, another uh, Academy Award winner for playing a bad mom. And that is Lavana from I, Tanya, um, as Tanya Harding's mother, who is probably one of the more despicable characters that I have seen in recent years on screen. Um, there really isn't anything uh, good to say about her. Um, she's, she's a bad mom, but she's really just a terrible person altogether and is willing to do anything, um, including, uh, sacrificing her relationship with her daughter to get something out of it. Um, and she goes to great lengths to ensure that, uh, her daughter becomes this famous uh, or at least successful skater. Um, it, what, what is really interesting, I think what maybe uh, draws me to this character even more and why she ended up on my list is because uh, that same year, um, another movie came out with a great mother character um, in Lady Bird. And it was, a far more dynamic character. You could almost uh, make an argument to put the mother character in Lady Bird on either of these lists, because at times she is seems to be a really bad mom, but at times she seems to be a really good mom. And um, I think seeing this this character in I, Tanya, um, coming out the same year as uh, Lady Bird, having those two mothers in juxtaposition really, really uh, shows that um, the, the mother character in I, Tanya played by Allison Janey is just so incredibly bad. Yeah. I, she's on my list, but uh, later. So I'll say what I'm going to. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Perfect. Um, all right. So who is your number three bad mom? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of just in the moment switching around my list a little bit. Um, my number three, I'm going to go with the infamous mother from Psycho. Um, you, she's not really ever a major player in the story, but my argument for having her on the list is that she's crucial to the psychology of the main character. There's clearly some, you know, probably trauma that affected uh norman bates and so that's why i think that she qualifies for being the bad mom because she even after her death she's almost still haunting him it's or tormenting him psych psychologically and so that's i think that that is you know if we're and i know it's unfair no characters really play her in the movie uh, i don't know that there's a voice but it might be the actor's voice that does that and so i think it is i, I think it is yeah so uh it's it, i think that that is you know really impressive that uh, a character that is really not in the movie at all 
can still have such an effect on another person in the story. And so I think that's cool writing. Um, and so that's why it's my, my third worst mother. I, I Hey, I think that's a, a great choice um, because it, it does make for a more unique uh, experience. And it shows that uh, <laughs> parents can have an impact on you for far longer than their time lived on this earth. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is a, uh, a great choice as well. Um, my next choice is the mother from Get Out, uh, played by Catherine Keener, um, Missy Armitage. Uh, she is probably worse because she has this facade of being a good mom um, and she's tricky and uh, she clearly raised her daughter to be not a good person um, and be in on her tactics of racism and uh, overtaking our main character in this film through through hypnosis. Um, but she is pretty awful um, simply because of the, the trickiness of the way that she, she interacts with characters and she gets away with far more because of that. Um, and, and you don't know as an audience member until midway through the movie, just how bad she actually is. Right. And I think the, I don't have her on my list, but I, when you mentioned that, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, she, I think that it takes a good actor to be able to do that. And like you said, you don't really recognize it until the kind of turn in the movie. And the fact that she had this ability to seem sincere and the whole family has that ability to be honest, but like the, it's Catherine Keener, right? Yep. Catherine Keener. Yep. She's able to, to pull that off and like, but as soon as it turns, you're like, oh my God, I hate her. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that that was, that, that's a really good choice. All right. Number two. Okay. Um, I'm, I want to kind of make a connection and maybe you have some more on your list uh, that are going to, you can add on to this connection, but my number two um, pick for worst mother is uh, Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary. And she plays the character Annie. Hereditary is one of my favorite horror movies. Um, she is honestly a mother that I like. You, you could almost have put her on a good mother list in some ways. She probably isn't like ultimately the choices that she make, you know, are not great. But she has this almost, you know, there's something in her family that, that's hereditary, you know, that like she is almost doomed to have a, a, a bad life and to give a bad life for her, her family, you know? And so Tony Collette's performance is really great in this movie. Uh, I almost think that she is uh, routinely an underrated actress. Like she's kind of been uh, positioned as the, the mother figure in horror movies, you know, or just the mother figure in general, but she plays it super well. And uh, it's probably one of my favorite uh, 
lead actress performances in the last five years. Um, she's she's fantastic. And have you ever seen Hereditary? I have not. I have admittedly not seen Hereditary, um, and I know I should. Uh, it's up there as one of those movies that uh, it just bypassed me, and I haven't seen it yet. But I would look, like to see it. Um, cool. I have no doubt, though, that, <laughs> that she's good in this movie. Yeah. the The connection that I want to make and. I've mentioned Carrie, I've mentioned Psycho, you've mentioned Get Out, and I've now mentioned Hereditary. We've so far four horror movies on our list. That's the last one I have on my list. But um, I think that says a lot about how like, we're scared of bad moms. You know what I mean? Like that's something that's scary to us. We do not like the idea of somebody who is stereotypically like supposed to be somebody that's nurturing and uh, we want to be able to provide for us to turn on us in any way. Like that's disturbing to us. And so I think storytelling has been playing on that for a long time. And so that's why it's really fun for actors to be able to step into these roles because, you know, being a bad mom can be really scary. And so uh, there's no coincidence that we've had four horror movies on here so far. And, and I agree with that. Um, the last two that I have are not, not horror movies, but um, the, I think that it gives permission for us to see mothers in that light. Um, and I think cinema does a, uh, I shouldn't say a good job because I don't know if it's good, but they, uh, they don't like to, um, create bad mother characters as much as they like to create bad father characters. Oh, sure. um, and so I feel like the horror genre does give them permission to kind of break that rule. Um, and, and so, yeah, the, the fact that they have popped up multiple times here um, as horror characters, uh, it does say something about the genre and also just kind of the fun that the horror genre likes to have with uh, people that you would generally not consider to be um, bad um, right. and being able to flip it on its head and make that terrifying. Yeah. And, and the last thing I would want to say about Tony Collette in this movie is that you do really empathize with her. Like it, of, of all the moms on my list, she's the one you empathize with the most but it just is like, she, she basically loses, loses her grip and it ends up being pretty bad for her family. So yeah, you can go ahead and take it off with your next, next person. So my number two is uh, the character of Eleanor Shaw from The Manchurian Candidate, um, played by Angela Lansbury. And this character kind of like... Um, in a way, it's kind of like Lavana from uh, I, Tonya and Alice Ward from The Fighter. Uh, these, these women characters that are on a power trip, it's almost kind of that Lady Macbeth uh, feel where they are willing to sacrifice and make whoever's around them expendable in order to see some sort of fame or power or have some sort of power. Um, and Eleanor Shaw... Uh, this character is kind of the extreme example of this, but then um, bringing it into the political 
uh, sphere of, of bad moms where she is willing to sacrifice her son um, to have that political power and doesn't care that his life is at risk and he could potentially die as a result of the games that she is playing. Um, she just doesn't care. She wants the fame. She wants the power. Um, it kind of has very much, uh, for those who haven't seen Manchurian Candidate, um, it has very much a uh, House of Cards feel to it, um, where there's just this political ambition that uh, makes these characters completely evil. Um, and then they made a, a remake of this film where Meryl Streep played this character, and mm. she's equally as evil. But uh, I have to <laughs> I have to focus on the original. Um, with Angela Lansbury as as Eleanor Shaw. So admittedly, I have only seen like the end sequence of this movie when it was on TV when I was a kid, the old version, and then I never saw the remake. So again, this is kind of one of my blind spots. Uh, I think that uh, it, it is the sort of uh, film that the more conscious you are of political environments, um, the more impactful it is. So seeing it as a younger person, like I saw it first as a younger person too. And I don't think that it had the same um, pull that it has had on me in recent years. Um, I, I probably watched the original, uh, you know, I probably haven't seen the original for about 10 years, but more recently I rewatched the remake. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it, it's very pertinent to our times. Um, but uh, yeah, that character of Eleanor Shaw just sticks out with me as being just a completely evil mom um, who has no care for her son's uh, ultimate, uh, ultimately what, what happens to her son. And um, the sad part about it is that her son is very successful and has an opportunity to be somebody very successful, but she's still her own ambition is willing to crush that. So she is my number two uh, worst mom. And your number one worst mom is, is Lavana from I, Tanya. So you'd already talked about her. Um, I, I think what ultimately made me pick her was because I, I think Allison Janney's performance is really great in this movie. I also think I, Tanya was, it got nominated for best original or best original screenplay, right? Yes, yeah. I believe so. Yes. And I think that uh, because the writing was so good um, in that movie and uh, particularly like just the way they decided to tell the story was really great. But, you know, I loved seeing the scenes of the interview scenes with Lavana. I loved seeing the sequence where it's the just kind of, straight up storytelling where she's I think they're at that diner aren't they at a, no they're in their, her apartment in one scene and I think they're in a diner together and like she just is I mean there's there's times when you think that she is you know being that supportive mother and then she just becomes she's exactly who she's always been you know what I mean like and the fact that we see the way that she is manipulating her daughter and we, we can almost buy that she's changed, but then she just turns right back and does the predictable thing again. And so that's why I think that she deserves the first spot for me as, as the, the worst mother. And it has a lot to do with the performance and the writing, um, but also just 
what what role she plays within that story. I mean, she's fundamental to who Tanya Harding is, you know? Yep, I uh, I 100% agree. And that's the reason why she's on, on my list. Um, and I, I think that you kind of hit on the fact that a lot of these these characters, the reason why we chose them is because of the performance and the, uh, like not just anybody could step into that role and make that character as evil as, as she is. And um, Allison Janney is, uh, <laughs> she's a phenomenal actress who can be both likable and terrible um, all within the same. And uh, I've seen it in multiple roles that she has played. Um, in part of what makes this character so evil is the fact that there are glimpses of likability, um, but then she just crushes you. It's like, no, what the heck? Um, so yes, I agree with that, um, that she is definitely one of the worst moms. So my number one mom, uh, it almost feels cliche that I am choosing this mother uh, because to me, it, she represents just like the absolute worst. And that is the character of Mary from Precious, um, played by Monique. Um, and she also won the Academy Award for this portrayal. And uh, she's fantastic in this film because Mary is terrible. She is a terrible human being who... Uh, is drugged out throughout the entire movie. She uh, essentially allows men to have sex with her daughter and is just okay with that um, and has absolutely zero regard for her daughter's safety and well-being. And um, Precious just cannot escape her. Um, it, it, and this movie is very, very, very difficult to watch. And much of that is because of the character of Mary and having to watch the way that she treats her daughter and the situations that she puts her daughter in throughout the entirety of this film. Um, and so to me, like I said, seems like this is an easy answer for me, but uh, she represents everything you wouldn't want in a mother. Um, she kind of reminds me a little bit of the mother character in Moonlight, but in Moonlight, that character has some redemption. Um, whereas Mary really doesn't get that same redemption. Yeah. I, I thought about Moonlight. I thought about Precious putting those on there. Um, but Precious, I, I hadn't seen it in a while. Um, but I, I remember it being a hard movie to watch, uh, because of that the dynamic between her and her mother, but also just the hardship and everything. And I just felt like that was a, um, a, I mean, there's a reason why we, <laughs> these people are nominated, <laughs> you know, cause they like, they're just embodying characters that are extremely flawed and we're interested in those characters. It's a hundred percent. Right. Uh, and honestly, like I, I enjoyed, we're, we're going to be talking about best moms here in a minute, but I enjoyed coming up with the best moms, but there's something more exciting about trying to find these characters that are evil because we are drawn to them. And uh, um, they, 
they put forth much greater performances. Um, like they, they are, you can applaud these performances because it requires somebody to be something that nobody would wish to ever be. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think, I think we have a good list of, I guess, nine uh, bad moms since we do chair one there. Uh, and uh, if, if anybody who is listening to this podcast has some other examples of bad moms, um, I hope you leave some comments on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you are uh, receiving this podcast, because we'd like to hear some of your own examples of the worst moms. Um, all right, let's talk about best moms. Who are the good moms in cinema history? So I'm going to let you start with number five. Okay. Um, my number five, again, this was, uh, I think, a little bit challenging for me. There was a few that kind of instantly came to mind for me. And then as I got down the list, I was like, kind of, there were some good examples, but it depended on like, what type of story I wanted to represent. And I think that a lot of the good mothers uh, in cinema, you know, there's, there's variety of reasons why they're good mothers. They might not be the kind of typical mother figure that we would expect, um, but that's what makes them really interesting. And so my first, um, for my number five, I have Uma Thurman's character in Kill Bill. So the reason why I have her is because this is a mother who is getting revenge for her, what she believes to be the, the um, you know, death of her child. She eventually finds out that her, her daughter was born and, you know, but it, it is that, you know, like you, you, you want a mom who's going to fight for you. You know what I mean? And obviously uh, Quentin Tarantino takes that to the like absolute extreme, you know? Yep. But uh, I think that this is a, a, a you would be pretty, uh, you would feel pretty good if Uma Thurman was your mom because she would kick ass for you. You know what I mean? And so I think that uh, she's deserving to be on, on this list. And so when I thought of a good mom, she came to mind. Yeah, I think that's a really good example of somebody that uh, is very flawed as a character, but uh, exhibits something that we would consider to uh, be representative of a kick-ass mom who's <laughs> going to do everything in their power to ensure uh, that you are protected. Um, that I think it kind of, it's not the, exactly the same, but it it is a character that I thought about putting on my list, but ended up not um, was the character from pieces of a woman who actually loses her child. Um, but the way that she kind of exhibits the handling of that um, and uh, just kind of how she has this relationship with the child that she never really ended up having. Um, it, it's similar in that sort of way. I, I also thought about putting her on my list and I, I think that, like, this is what I mean when there's characters that are mothers that we don't necessarily think of, might not think of first and foremost as a mother character, but that's core to who they are. Right. You know? And like, she viewed, like, the bride is the character's name in uh, Kill Bill. She views herself as, as a mother and that's part of her identity and why she is doing the things she's doing, you know? I agree with that. Um, so my number five uh, best mom is 
a little bit more surface level. Um, but it's hard not to, uh, love her <laughs> because she's, she's just kind of that representation of being who people would want as their, their mother. And that is, uh, Marmy March and little women. Um, she's just kind of the best representation of, uh, who your storybook mother is and uh, taking care of her children and being an advocate for them at every corner. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more of the Laura Dern version of this. Um, I thought she was excellent in this role. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a simple mother character. Uh, there's nothing overtly special about um who she is. She doesn't do something out of the ordinary, but she is representative of what we see as being the quintessential uh, mother of just taking care of her kids and being uh, the best advocate that, that she possibly can be. Mm -hmm. I also thought about putting her on my list. Uh, I think, like you said, she's, she represents all that we want in a good mother and uh, she's supportive. She's there for her family, uh, especially when like she kind of has to do it on her own. You know what I mean? Yep. And, like, I mean, she's not a single mother, but she's essentially like raising her daughters on her own. And so again, that's another dynamic that, you know, you, you know, I, I, I do think that cinema really likes to uh, highlight and spotlight mothers that are you know doing it on their own essentially because that is something that is being a mom is hard on its own but then to be doing it as a single parent it's tough and, and, so, and you're gonna see that theme throughout my list um because a lot of these mothers that i have on my list are mothers that uh have to take care of their kids on their own and another theme you're going to see throughout this is Mothers who are trying to kind of protect their children from the realness of the world and uh, in trying to keep things as normal as possible, despite that their lives might be uh, stressed. Um, I don't think that Marmy March is quite that. Uh, she clearly has some stress she has to deal with, but it's maybe not to the same extent as some of the other uh, mothers that I have on my list. Because she's that supporting role, we don't get a full insight into what her experience is. Right. So, but I mean, you can definitely see that there probably is the, the challenge in, of, of raising four daughters, you know. Essentially alone. Essentially alone, yeah. All right. You're number four. Okay, my number four is Helen Hunt's performance in As Good As It Gets, um, plays Carol Connolly. Uh, I think that this is, again, single mother who is, you know, trying to do what she can with, you know, uh, as much, with as, with as little support as she has to be able to help her son when he's sick. You know, he, uh, she's, she's trying to make sure that he gets the proper care um, and, you know, like, she's also weary of 
Jack Nicholson's character when he does want to help because she's like, okay, you know, I don't like that. That I think that there's a nat- she's protective and defensive of that because of her son and her family. You know, like if it was just her, she might be more willing to accept that sort of thing. But because I think she has a certain amount of like, I don't want him to take advantage of this situation and all this. And she, I mean, also Jack Nicholson's character is pretty unlikable. So there's oh, no yeah. reason to. Um, one thing that I would say, and this is this is not really uh, any real sort of critique. The only problem I have with that movie is I'm like, how the heck would she ever be attracted to Jack Nicholson? <laughs> and so that's like my one issue with it, with as good as it gets. Uh, but uh, I, I think that, like like you said, she embodies the, the same kind of characteristics we would want in a mom that we see with uh, Laura Dern's character in Little Women. We see this with uh, Carol Connolly played by Helen Hunt. So that's why she's my number four pick. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, choice. And um something that I think we're going to see here is that we see more dynamic characters in good moms uh, in our good mom list, because it allows us to um, show what they have to overcome in order to be a good mom. Um, and so I, yeah, I, that, that is the case for, for that character and as good as it gets. Um, my number four um I, I kind of questioned whether or not I wanted to put this on here because I think she does some things that are maybe a little irresponsible. Um, but uh, at the same time, she represents kind of the same things that we've been talking about while also trying to be something more for uh, the world and in her community. Um, and that is the character of Rosie played by Scarlett Johansson from Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, who she tries to protect her her son from uh, the terrible things that are happening in their community and uh, knowing that they are terrible, but trying to give her son um, a relatively normal life without putting him in a position of uh, being a target but at the same time, dealing with a lot of things outside of being a mother to try to make the community a better place and fight for what is right. Um, and because of that, because you have this balance, you do see that she maybe makes a few irresponsible decisions along the way mm-hmm. and potentially or in ultimately maybe puts her son at risk but she comes from a completely honest and uh, loving place and is trying to do what is absolutely best for her son throughout this entire film. And we see that uh, in the um, scene where she ends up trying to portray his father um, and trying to make this kind of this relatively sad uh experience as viewers we know what's going on whereas the boy doesn't really know um but tries to bring some joy to it and keep things somewhat normal and shows that they have this kind of playful loving relationship yeah i thought about putting her on my list i didn't but i think that she is uh you know like you don't blame her for anything i mean like the the context and the environment that they're living in is like solely 
makes her position way more difficult, you know, because she right. is fighting for the things she believes she needs to do. And then at the same time, like she can't really tell her son certain things because, you know, there's the potential he's going to wrap her out, you know, like tell yeah. on her, you know, and so because of just that environment of being in Germany at that time. And so it's, I think, um, what makes I think her character and a lot of the characters that we see on the good mothers list great is that they're not just a mother you know what I mean right they they have other uh interesting aspects to their character they're fully developed and she's fully developed in the sense that she clearly it has a life outside of being just a mom too which is good yep uh I just think it's a very dynamic character because you have she has her kid in hitler youth club <laughs> um but if she didn't if she didn't then it would kind of probably put a target on his back a little bit and so she's she's trying to have this balance it's an impossible um, situation yeah right um and and so yeah I, that that is ultimately why i included her um on this list because i think she is a really interesting character okay let's go to your number three Okay, my number three pick is also a Taika Waititi movie. Um, it's Hunt for the Wilder People. And this is an interesting pick. It's because she's not, again, it's like my Psycho pick. Oh, Psycho, the mother's not in it very much. But this mother's in it at the beginning. She's not in it much after that. But uh, it's uh, the character Bella played by, I believe her name's Roma Te Waita. And she is um, a mother that she's... Uh, you know, married to this man who's kind of gruff guy and they, they don't have any kids. She decides that she's going to adopt uh, uh, a child who's Ricky, who's kind of the main character of the story. And, you know, she, even though she's not in it for very long, her decision to, you know, want to bring a child into their life to help somebody who needed a family and then also to inspire in the, her gruff husband to care for this kid, you know, like, I think that that makes her an interesting mother because she plays a crucial role in the story. And so I think, you know, in, in stories about mothers and in mothers in real life, I'm interested in, you know, the ways that people are impacting others beyond their own life, you know, and, uh, without her character, the story wouldn't exist, you know? And so it's the decision she's making, the love she has for this kid without even really knowing him to decide to care for him uh, that you make her a really good mother. And I, ha I have not seen this film and I need to. Um, this, is, this is one of, uh, I think, his first movies. I think it was probably the movie that got him really big attention before he was being picked up by like Disney to do Marvel movies and stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely worth watching. It's probably one of my favorite, like more indie type movies within the last probably 10 years. Um, and th that's awesome because I think that he is a dynamic writer. I think he uh, creates some interesting character characters in environments that aren't necessarily um, 100% real, uh, but uh, the way that he kind of plays around with that world, um, you can forgive a lot of things. In a way, it's almost has 
uh, this animated sort of feel like we talked about uh, the Mitchells versus the machines and how um, certain things work in that that are not necessarily representative of being the real world. I think he writes characters in a similar sort of way, but is able to apply it to a live action movie, which in a way is much more difficult. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say, you know, Jojo Rabbit is maybe a little bit more stylized than Hunt for the Wilder People, but um it still has some quintessential Taika Waititi humor and the, the mother character's hilarious. You, I mean, she's, you kind of can't not like her. Well, I'm looking forward to watching that. Um, gotta love good mother characters written by great screenwriters. All right. So my number three is um, also, I think a, a little bit cliche, uh, I have picked uh, Maria Von Trapp from The Sound of Music, portrayed by Julie Andrews, and I couldn't leave her off this list. Um, I actually tried to leave her off this list because I didn't want to be so cliche. But um, the reason she, in sort of the same way as uh, Marmee March, uh, she just represents like everything that you would want in a mother figure, but uh, she takes these kids and um, raises expectations for them that they didn't have previously and gives them something and even more than they ever knew was possible um, out of a mother figure. And so uh, she's just a special character because of that. Um, And compared to some of these other characters, she really doesn't have, as many flaws there's not much you can say about this character that is uh like uh, yeah there, that's a problem um pretty much everything that she does you're rooting for and throughout that entire film you want it to work um and uh because she just is such a lovable mother character yeah she's kind of like a saint you can't really argue that she's a bad mom in any way. Nope, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty easy. Cliche, I know. So let's move on to number two. Okay. I'm I I could be wrong, but I I sort of feel like our our top two could be the same. Okay. Um, but we'll see. My number two is Lori Metcalf's character in Lady Bird. That is not in my top two. <laughs> I was hoping that it would be. Um, I know you mentioned her earlier, but uh, the reason why I, I think that she deserves to be in the top part of my list is she is a real person. You know what I mean? And that's what I respect in the storytelling the most and in her performance is she's, you know, she represents what being a parent can be like. And even when you're, you know, kid is creating all sorts of headaches for you and, you know, maybe isn't um, like meeting what you expected, but that's, that's part of being a parent is like, sometimes you have expectations and those aren't going to be what you get and that's fine. And so like, she kind of goes through that journey several times and the, the core thing, first of all, I I mean, a big, uh, you know, part of what makes these mothers on these lists really great is the writing and the writing in the in Lady Bird is fantastic uh and this the the line that stands out to me the most is 
um, you know, the scene with, uh, with uh, Lady Bird talking to her uh, teacher, the, the nun at school, and the nun says, well, you clearly love Sacramento so much. And she says, well, I don't really, she, I just pay attention to it. And she says, well, isn't that the same thing? And I think that that's at the core of the movie is Laurie Metcalf's character is constantly paying attention to Lady Bird. She might be critical. She might be not the loving mother that you expect, but it's because she is paying attention to her. She has those expectations. She cares so much that she does critique. She does push back. And that is the way she's showing her love for her daughter. She's really paying attention to her. Um, and so I think that's what makes her a great mom. I'm glad that you included her on this list. Uh, I thought about including her on this list. Um, there are just a few moments throughout the film though, where, uh, it made it difficult for me to, um, recognize her as being one of the best moms, but I think you make a, uh, convincing argument for why we should consider her one of the best. And it's because she is real. Um, more than any mom we've talked about today, I think that she really exhibits um, just what it's like to be a real everyday mom and having to deal with uh, <laughs> the ever-changing dynamics of kids um, as they, they grow older and they start to look for their independence and you start to lose a little bit of control of that. Um, and uh as much as I loved Allison Janey and I, Tanya, uh, I thought Laurie Metcalf's performance in, in Lady Bird was better because it is more dynamic um, mm -hmm. and does show some of those highs and lows um, where you see her losing control at times and saying things that she doesn't really mean, um, but are ultimately cruel and <laughs> cut deep. Um, and the scene when she drops her off to go to college and her pride doesn't allow her to kind of forgive in that moment, but then the recognition that she is actually affected by what is happening, um, mm -hmm. I think is a good representation of that love and how everything she has done up to that point is completely out of her care for her daughter. Right. And again, I like that she is a real person. You see that she had like the way there's a scene where she's interacting with the priest uh, at the school and you, they don't talk about it a lot in the story, but he clearly has some sort of, there's something going on mental, mental health wise that she's kind of talking to him and you can see that she's a genuine caring person to all people, but she gives that tough love to her daughter, which makes you not like her. Right. You know what I mean? But it's the fact that she does care about her daughter. She does want what's good for her daughter that you see those moments of love, even when she sees like that her daughter's kind of like goofing around, maybe getting into trouble, doing some things. She kind of just has that watchful eye of just like, you know, like maybe this isn't what I want, but I like, like you're safe and that's what matters sort of thing. And, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I, I see that sort of affection in the, the performance that makes her stand out to me. And I, I, I cannot argue with that. Um, so my number two is uh, portrayed by an actress we have already talked about. 
Um, and that is Tony Collette's portrayal of Lynn Sear from The Sixth Sense. Um, this role, I think, and I obviously I haven't seen Hereditary, so uh, I can't really compare the two. But uh, she is she's an excellent uh, actress when it comes to playing a mother that is complex and uh, is dealing with a lot of things. And this is a good representation of a mother who doesn't necessarily believe in herself as a mother, but is literally trying to do everything that she can to be the best that she can be. Um, and sometimes falls short of that. Um, but loves her son despite all of the issues that come along with that and mm. having to deal with a lot of the, um, the, the concern she has about him um, while still trying to be um, a good mother. And mm. that's, that's a huge part of the narrative is this uh, conversation of whether or not she is a good mother Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I felt like I could not leave her off this list simply because I see her as being a good mother. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that the story does well to really lead you to that ultimate decision. Um, because they want you in the end to believe that she is a good mother for her son. Yeah, and again, it's, I think, I think it would be interesting to do uh, a look at like uh, the way that mothers are portrayed in horror movies, because there's something about, there's something, first of all, I guess, disturbing about a bad mom in a horror movie, but then also there's something that you, you worry for, for a, a mother who's doing it on her own, who has like a child who maybe is struggling in some way. Another movie that that kind of reminds me of is the Babadook, if you've ever seen that. I haven't seen that either. But that, I mean, like, again, it's, it's, it's in the same vein as this character from The Sixth Sense. Obviously, very different stories, but, you know, single mother who's trying to kind of figure it out. Great. All right, number one. Okay. Um, my number one pick is Brie Larson's character from Room. And uh, the is this your number one pick as this well? This is my number one, too. Okay. So it's a good one to finish on. Okay, well, maybe we can just talk back and forth about it. Yep. Um, the uh, the thing that stands out to me, and I, I think as I heard you kind of talk about this before, as you were kind of prefacing some of the stuff on your list, is that she is trying to create a normal world for her son. And she's doing that in the midst of probably what I would imagine is the most traumatizing experience you could go through. Yes. And uh, I think, again, the fact that she is a, a real person, you know what I mean? And not, I mean, she's a real in the sense that she's portrayed in a real way, you know? And she, that trauma is something that carries over after her life outside of the room, you know? Yes. And uh, she's still like her love for a, a child who, she never intended on having, she never intended this being part of her life. And she still has that sort of love And like, in certain way, I, I, I don't want to say that this is like a, I don't, I, I feel like it could be problematic to be like, we're rewarding somebody because of this trauma, traumatized 
experience she has, but I think, you know, when you think about mothers that are able to, you know, maintain their role, even in the worst of circumstances, that is what this character is doing. And Brie Larson's performance is great. Um, I think she definitely deserved to win the Oscar for it. And um, it's, it, I think it was my, maybe my favorite movie of that year when it came, was that 2017? Um, yeah, it, uh, I think it was 2017. Um, and it no, was also my, 2015 or 2016, I'm pretty sure. Whatever the case, yes, yeah. it, whatever year it was, it was my favorite movie of that year. Um, and it's very much because of this performance, this performance and just the dynamic between her and Jacob Tremblay um, and how, yeah, as you basically <laughs> said exactly my thought process and choosing her as my my number one choice here because she does everything that she can to create a normal experience for her son in a very not normal situation um this kid has no idea that his life is different from anybody else's simply because of the way that she raises him um while still trying to cope with all of the trauma and issues that she has to worry about on a day-to-day basis. And in almost every situation, she doesn't ever project that onto her son. Um, There are a few times where like you can see that stress, but she always ends up being able to hold it together for him um, because she wants him to have the opportunity to have the most normal life. And um, frankly, it prob- that's probably what keeps her going. <laughs> um, and we see that once she recognizes that he is going to be taken care of, that she then at that point maybe makes a decision to uh, deal with her own issues. Right. And um, But she's only able to do that because she knows that uh, her son is taken care of right. um, and that, that uh, he, ultimately he's the number one thing that she worries the most about. And even when it comes to them getting out, her first priority is making sure that he gets out uh, rather than um, trying to do it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was hoping this was going to be your number one too. And I, yeah. I sort of had a feeling based on what you said earlier. I was like, I bet he picked room too. But. Yeah, yeah, and it, I think it does. It fits into that kind of uh, conversation about um, she's not perfect, mm-hmm. um, but uh, allowing for her child, her child to have uh, as normal of a life as possible. I think that that is kind of a theme we see here um, with like the Sixth Sense, um, Jojo Rabbit. Uh, both of those I felt like really kind of fit into the, I'm trying to do what's best for my kid, despite knowing that everything around us is messed up. <laughs> um, right. So and it's the fact that she isn't perfect, you know, there's a reason why you have her at number one and you have Maria Von Trapp at number three. You know right. what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Even though you'd make an argument that Maria Von Trapp is the perfect mom. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up our, our conversation on moms in cinema. Um, 
once again, if you're listening, listening to this and you have uh, other mothers that you think are the best moms, please leave that in the comments. We want to hear what other people think are the best and worst moms in cinema history. Um, check out the Mitchells versus the machines next week. We are going to do a review of uh, the woman in the window. I think that it drops on Netflix um, next Friday. And so by the end of the weekend, we will have a review of that film. Um, and uh, I, this is a film that has been in, in the works of coming out for what seems like two or three years now. So I'm really interested, interested to see how it turns out. And I think it kind of plays a little bit off of some of the themes we've been talking about of that kind of thriller, scary movie feel. Um, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and uh, I look forward to having a conversation next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, man. You bet.